Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our mobile studio, (laughs) located currently in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We are in transition between the caravan, which we spent the last month taking, and the Balloon Festival. Exciting Balloon Festival. Which is supposed to begin in a few days. It's not festival, it's fiesta. Fiesta. Which is here in Albuquerque, and we are here just before the Balloon Festival starts at the beginning of October, and we see clouds. You never see clouds here, and we see rather... uh, Bad forecast for the beginning of the Balloon Fest Fiesta. When we made this reservation back in <laughs> almost exactly two years or something, no, nineteen. All right, long, long ago. It's almost exactly two years ago. In a rather cavalier manner, we said, "Well, we should stay as long as we can since we are boondocking, because some days the weather does not cooperate." But the current forecast <laughs> makes it look like it's going to maybe have one good day. I don't know. Weather. But we're there for seven days of boondocking, and we're really putting our to the test. I think this is the longest we have ever boondocked. Uh, there is the possibility of getting fresh water and a pump out for $30 for, each, for each operation, uh, which we may need to take advantage of midweek. We'll see how that all goes. But we need to remind you that this is the RV Navigator for October 2021, episode 197. Can you believe that? Three months Ooh. and we will be... We better plan a big celebration 200. episode 200. Started in 2006. So we've been in, in existence for a nice long time, and we hope that you have listened to every episode. And you were telling me the other day that you were on one of your RV websites, and they polled the readers of the website oh. about how many of them listened to podcasts, and it was half listen. Dear listeners, you've got to get out and promote podcasting. Just Not necessarily ours. We love to just, listen to podcasts. Just the whole concept. Yes, the whole concept of podcasting. I, I don't know what people listen to in their RV as they're traveling down the road. Some of you, of course, are listening to the RV Navigator, but there's not enough of us to go around. So you have to listen to other podcasts. And this website did a survey and exactly 50% of the respondents said they have never, no, never have listened to a podcast. And 8% said yes very often. And wow. yes, wow. somewhat often is 6%. So that's 14% who listen at all. And even if people aren't interested in a little amateurish RV podcast, it seems like every celebrity worth his salt and many weren't worth much salt have their own podcast. It's just like everybody's doing it. And, of course, everybody loves our podcast because it has no advertising. It's free. It's totally commercial-free. We have no ads. We have no commercial ties. We don't promote anything. We don't take time out for us to talk about things that you should be buying. Well, we do talk about that. We do sell lots of stuff, but it's not because we are making any money off of it, right? Anyway, 
So I want to talk about um, the RV caravan that we just finished. Yes. Uh, this engendered a lot of questions from those of you who did listen to our podcast last month. And I can see that even though we've talked about this before, yes. it's been a while and we should talk about the whole idea of caravanning and how it works. And as a background, we have been on how many? A lot of caravans. We've well, been to, we did, yeah, we we've been to South Africa. We have been two to... Two in Mexico. Two in Mexico. New Orleans. <laughs> We haven't counted. Um, the Maritimes. Yeah. And? And this latest one, which was called the Grand Circle, a name which I didn't really understand, but mm-hmm. basically we spent a month cruising around the four corners part of the United States. So Colorado, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, that, that area, which made for an extremely nice itinerary because there are so many picturesque national parks in that area, and we rarely, very rarely had to drive more than 200 miles in any oh, one much, day, yeah, much less, um, yeah. often much less, and we were in new beautiful scenery. And a lot of people worry about doing this type of trip because they think, eh, I have to make all those reservations and I have to work on getting into to the national parks and and there's just a lot of uh, tricky details that you don't want to have to work on and that's why the caravan is nice because you pay your money up front and everything is taken care of besides your food and, and fuel and even some of the, fuel, logic. Even some of the <laughs> yes. food is paid for exactly and that's the nice part about it now we spent about two about 180 dollars a day for this and you trip. can certainly do that trip for much less money. But we stayed in very nice campgrounds with full hookups every night, and we never had to make a reservation. You just drive in, and they're waiting for you, and you're you've got a place to park, and you don't have to worry about what time you get there, or whether there's going to be a spot for you because all. How many of us were there? All 18 18 rigs rigs, had a spot in the campground. Typically, a caravan will have a couple who is the leader of the caravan in the company we were using. They're called the Wagon Master. And then they have a tail gunner whose job it is to follow the last person who leaves the campground and kind of sweep the road looking to see if anybody has gotten lost or broken down. And we said to ourselves, wouldn't it have been nice to have had a tail gunner (laughs) when we had that blowout and felt so terribly alone. Um, But what generally happens on this kind of a trip, which is pretty easy, um, the tail gunner had very little to do. We didn't have any real breakdowns on this trip, but this is a safety feature that a lot of people really appreciate, and that's one of the reasons why you do a caravan. Not only do you not have to make any reservations, and the trip is planned, they give you turn-by-turn directions so that you can't get lost. You don't don't even really have to have a GPS, I don't think, because it says you go to mile marker 12 on your odometer and turn left on such-and-such a road or whatever it happens to be. And for every step along the way, there is a a description about exactly what to do. And you know that the roads are good for your RV, no matter what size it is. We did very little expressway driving, and when you look at two-lane roads when you're 65 feet long and you know there are mountains around here, you always wonder whether that road is a good choice or not, or whether you should just migrate back to the expressway if there's even one available. So it's kind of like the good housekeeping seal of approval on the routing. 
And along the way, we often had interesting places to stop. Uh, and again, they tried to figure out yes. how many rigs could fit in those via spots along the way. And and one day we were um, encouraged to leave in shifts so we wouldn't all arrive at that via at the same time because the parking lot was not all that big. So that kind of broke the driving up and added even more interesting stops to the And itinerary. before every trip, uh, before every day's driving, there is a meeting where you get together and the Wagamaster explains the route and what you could expect, uh, rough roads, uh, elevation changes, you know, all, whatever it is, how to get into the last campground. You know, be careful because uh, the campground entrance is just 50 feet beyond the last stoplight. You know, all those things that that you would not know if you hadn't done this trip a few times. And so that's very comforting, especially... <laughs> As we get a little bit older and we kind of worry about breaking down and, and that sort of stuff. And many of the people on these trips are a little bit more elderly than you no. might expect. No. We used to say that, but it's no longer true. <laughs> I, was more say, elderly. I would say we were above the midpoint in terms of our age. We were above the midpoint. Yes. Well, that's a shock. Well, the truth is. So, who, who do we have on this trip? We had... Um, a group of four couples who all lived on the same street in Florida and traveled in a little bunch, which was um, an RVing no-no. When you're on a caravan, you should never drive all at the same time nose to tail because you take up a lot of room, especially on two-lane roads, and you need to give people um, an opportunity to pass you once in a while. And we had uh, a single lady. Mm -hmm. We had couples that were... Everybody else was couples. Uh, we had couples that were from mid-50s to over 80. No. Close to 80. Close to 80. You're right. We are in the middle. Yeah. We are in the... Yeah, we're on the upper end. <gasps> we don't like to think of ourselves that way, and we try to keep moving as much as possible, which some of the people who were somewhat younger than we are were not very good at. Yeah. Um, but We have more experience RVing. But, and that's another to. reason why you would go, is if you feel inexperienced about doing know. these things. So, yeah. so you want to have somebody there to hold your hand. There were people that were fairly newly retired who were not from this part of the country, and I think were a little apprehensive about it all. And then there were other people from Prescott. Who, who were when 30 the, miles from home. When the caravan <laughs> ended, yeah, drove home in half an hour. Um <laughs> That's well, 1,700 miles like we have to go. And we should, yeah. we should remind ourselves that we signed up for this caravan last winter when we were marooned with one another yes. hiding from COVID. And we wanted to travel with some other people. And certainly with a caravan, you can do that. From my experience right now, there are two main caravan companies. This trip we took was with Adventure Travel. And there's also a company called Fantasy. Uh, you, they both have great websites. You can go on and see the kind of trips they have all over the United States and a few international ones as well. Um, both of them, I think, go to South Africa, which was a caravan and that Europe. we really enjoyed. We, they they yeah, even had Europe. one that went to uh, Scandinavia, where you, obviously you rent the RVs. You don't bring your own. But there are many other groups that do caravans. Escapees is an organization many campers belong to. They the do beavers. them. Uh, any manufacturer of your rig probably has an affinity group that does some caravans. So there are many that are readily available, I would think, at varying prices, too. So the number of rigs uh, we decided was about 19, and there was everything from small 
25-foot Class Bs up to the 45-foot motorhomes like ours. And travel trailers, fifth wheels. Everything. Everything. And and every size. So that's not really one of the criteria. You, you self-select yourself and you decide to go. And as long as you can stand to live in the vehicle that you bring, it's not a problem. So this did national parks. And boy... Do we beautiful have some scenery. beautiful national parks? And one of the nice things, too, that, that this tour does, I guess, well, we kind of shy away from bus tours. But when you take a bus tour of Zion National Park or... You learn more. You learn more because you have a guide, a step-on guide, who guides you through. And we did... They have a mix um, in several national parks. We did just the uh, the tour driving around ourselves like Arches National Park. And then in Zion National Park, they had a bus tour, as well as uh, uh, Mesa Verde. Right. And so they have a nice mix of this, and this is what adds to the price, uh, is is that you have these bus tours that are a group activity that you can learn more than you would otherwise. There are also group activities that you would have to pay for if you did them yourselves, like rafting on a river and going on an ATV. Right. What else do we do as a group? Oh, we went. We had an evening western show with a dinner included. Um, and, and, and we did the Colorado River night. Also had a dinner. It's, it's it's interesting that we have been to most of these parks. We've been and done the tours on our own, but we learned things and uh, had good experiences by going and uh, going with the group because they did things that we hadn't done before, hadn't even known about. In all honesty. I would say in terms of the pace, uh, sometimes it was frustrating. We, When we go to these special places, we like to stay for four to six nights if possible and really explore a place thoroughly, although we must admit that we were doing things we hadn't done before, so we didn't explore them all that thoroughly. <laughs> but for the most part, we were two or three nights in an area, and that often left me feeling, oh, I wish I had one more day. Next one was five. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. In, in the 31 days that we were on the road with this group, we, we drove about 1,600 miles, uh, and we visited a wide variety of different campgrounds, some of them very scenic and others that are very parking lot-ish. But they, they chose campgrounds that were very nicely located, and that's one of the keys. Many of the, well, them we could actually walk or even take our bikes to. Red Rock Canyon um, on your bike you could do. Yeah. So... so th- it depends. So, you know, you don't have to worry about the campground that you're going to go to because they have it pre-selected and they have knowledge that you didn't have just picking off a page off of a, out of a guide. And in this part of the world, you could count on good electricity, water, and sewer at yes. every campground. Uh, some of the other caravans we've taken in more dicey parts of the world, <laughs> that wasn't necessarily the case. But you could rest assured that they were always putting you in the best campground available. Yes. And every night uh, there was a social where you could get together and have little hors d'oeuvres and things and g- gather around the campfire and share stories and uh, camaraderie, which is nice. And regularly they would have uh, pre-planned meals that were catered or cooked by the wagon masters. So you see where your money goes when you when you do these activities, although it's not cheap. There's no question about it. It would be cheaper to do it on your own, but you get more value for your money here. And they do things that, as two people, you can't do very easily. You need a group. You need a group. So 
give it a thought and uh, tell us what you think. The best caravan we have been on was South Africa. Yeah, by far. all the Maritimes. All the Maritimes was, was very, very good, good too. too. And there they took care of the ferries. Which and was also complicated which is to the, plan. Yeah, which was one of the things that we wanted to have them do. And we did three or four ferries there, so mm-hmm. it was... Uh, it was tricky. Now, as we said, we're about to attend uh, the Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta, and this <laughs> is something we've also done before as a rally, which is this caravan company's um, approach to e- wonderful events that you do in a stationary sort of way. We also did Mardi Gras that way as a rally. And maybe and next NASCAR. And maybe next month we'll tell you whether it was a good idea to do that on our own as opposed to doing it with a rally. Well, the, the interesting thing is, is that now that we've done the balloon rally, we know how what to look for and what to do. So we were able to make our own decisions and, and alter our itinerary just a bit based on what we learned from the rally. Not that we're going to call this next experience any sort of a bargain. <laughs> I've never paid a hundred dollars to Boondock per night. Oh, you're not paying a hundred dollars. One hundred fifty. Yeah, <laughs> you're paying a hundred and fifty dollars a night. night. To be there. (laughs) Just to boondock, to run your generator, and to use your own water at the Balloon Fiesta. So I don't know what the charge is for the rallies. Yeah, we did that a long time ago. But you have to lock in uh, at least $100 for RVing. We're staying in a little bit more premium site than many people. But uh, it gets to be expensive around here. And, And of course, we had to make our reservations literally on the day that that they were available, that it opened. And these people have made their their reservations with the caravan companies. Any time after that. Because, because the, the caravan companies have already reserved a number of sites that they know they're going to sell to customers. Exactly. And from my memory of the experience doing it as a rally, uh, they did stuff with you during the day, which we're not going to have anybody lead us to other activities because the main things you do at the balloon rally are watch the balloons ascend <laughs> in the morning and then the evening glow when they light them and up fireworks as it gets dark. Evening. So the middle of the day is very wide open. Open. And so if you go with the rally, you get the other activities that are available they, in Albuquerque. They take a bus and you go to Scandia Peak so that you can overlook and the balloon rally. And we will go rally. to Walmart. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever we end up doing. We're to save money because we <laughs> were spending we on so But it was two years ago that we made that reservation. So I feel like uh, it's almost free because we haven't had to spend any money lately to The money's to do been the, gone so long we forgot it. And because it's boondocking, we don't really have to do anything uh, once we get there. So we just uh, drive in and take advantage of uh, the reservation that we made years and years ago. Uh, so we're hoping that the weather is good and that uh, everything goes well. And we also should mention once again that when we were on the caravan seeing national parks that we were usually not camping in the national park, but all of the campgrounds we were in were very close and convenient to the national parks. People this, are always worrying about, this is, I need to buy a small rig so I can go to is, the national yeah. parks. I would say if you're a national forest camping person, that's probably true. But for the national parks and most state parks, you can we, you can stay nearby if you can't stay the, in the This park. is a real misconception that have, people have. And they, they base their RVing buying decisions decisions on being able to camp in the national parks. Now, we make it a, a, a practice to drive through the campgrounds 
in the national parks in many places. We just like to drive. I, well, <laughs> I like to drive through national national park campgrounds. And on this trip, we went to a number of national parks, and I would say that virtually all of the national parks that we drove through had sites that were big enough for our rig. Now, whether you could actually make a reservation from one of those is a whole different story because the campgrounds are not big, although some of them are two and 300 sites. We, we have actually stayed in Zion and, and uh, Grand Canyon, uh, but the other ones we drove through had sites that were big, for, big enough for a for 40, us. and that's impressive. And, but with that said, there are some of the national park campgrounds that you wouldn't want to stay in, I don't think. For instance... Arches National Park, the campground that we stayed in, the, the private campground that we stayed in, was within a mile and a half of the entrance of, of Arches National Park. Had full hookups, very nice Wi-Fi and the whole whole Creature way. comforts. All, everything that we would expect. And it took reservations. The campground for Arches National Park is 25 to 30 miles inside the park. And that sounds like a great idea, but when you realize that anytime you want to go anyplace else, and of course one of the things that we did there was do Canyonlands National Park as well as a couple of other National Monument types of things, if you stayed at the National Park campground, you would have to drive all the way out that 35 miles, which is uh, quite a long distance, and it was and it was a twisty, windy road, you'd have to drive all the way out to go to the other national park. Whereas we could just drive out of our campground's entrance and drive down the roadways and we were in Canyonlands. So, staying in the national parks is not always something that you want to do. It sounds very romantic and like the best way to do camping, and the sites are often nice. However, they are virtually all boondocking and we're going to talk about boondocking uh, in some detail. Because we're thinking a- <laughs> about it a lot right now, because we're going to be doing it for seven nights, right? Yeah. Ooh. Can you, dear listener, boondock in your rig for seven nights and live comfortably? That's That really is one of the keys. We'll see. I firmly believe that we can. One thing that I think will help is that it's not particularly hot here anymore. If uh-huh. you have to be in some of the areas that we were in last month, the caravan started in St. George, Utah, which is a very low elevation, and the highs every day were well over 100. And there you had to run your air conditioner like crazy, and boondocking would make that a real challenge. Absolutely, and th- this could be a serious problem. Um, here at the Balloon Festival, we don't anticipate having to do that, but if we have to run the air conditioner, we will. Um, but I'm not anticipating that, and that won't be something that we would uh, necessarily promote. Boondocking in hot weather is really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. If you can't sleep at night, then that, that's it's not fun. Uh, that's a big problem. And you're not going to run your air conditioner with your solar panels. It just doesn't work. And in our case, because we have solar panels that keep things um, humming during the day and a generator to keep things humming at night before it's time to go to sleep, we feel pretty confident that we should be able to handle that part of the week 
just fine. Right. In St. George, where the temperatures were well over 100, it gets to be uncomfortable to be outside in the afternoon. It was almost dangerous. Well, it was, yeah. We wouldn't want to go hiking and things. And that was that's another problem with the with the caravan is is that it has to follow a predetermined schedule no matter what the weather no matter what the weather is and that's one of the things that uh, we don't like we would not have gone to St. George Utah in this kind of weather we love goal, we love St. George yes. Utah we spent wonderful weeks there but it was in late spring and when it was cool and it's beautiful and we knew it was going to be hot and it was hot and if you have to run your air conditioner 24-7, it's just not a good idea with your generator. It's just it's hard to do, and you have to stay inside. So that's kind you of counter well to, to, yeah, you may as well. Uh, yes, exactly. And we have only two air conditioners, um, and a big rig like ours in very hot weather probably needs three, as many people have three. So... We are not set up for super hot weather, although our air conditioners kept the... the it was good enough. It was kept to below 80 um, in the afternoon, and it was comfortable for sleeping. But think carefully about the weather. <laughs> and I guess, being Midwesterners, we have another problem with, with temperatures in that we, know, we don't understand elevation. And when every day the, the high and the low are 40 <laughs> degrees apart, we have a hard time planning for that. And we, on one day while we were in St. George, we went to a, a national monument called Cedar Breaks. And that national monument, the temperature didn't get above 65 yeah, during the day. because it was so high. We drove 40 miles, and mm-hmm. the temperature was high of 65. And down in, in the St. George. George, it was over 100. If you're going to come out west, you really have to pay attention to elevation because the rest of our trip was at fairly high elevations, and therefore the weather was pretty nice. It was very nice. And here we are just a few nights ago watching the weather on the TV station from Phoenix because it was the closest big city. And (laughs) you watch the weather guy, and he's saying, well, the temperature now is 97 degrees and it's 10 o'clock at night. And we're sitting there with the heat on because we're at elevation and we're getting that TV station over the air, you know. So it's really hard for us to understand the the short distance, but the elevation makes such a huge difference. And that, in terms of planning, is a big thing to to, to pay attention to. For anybody who comes from east of the Mississippi. And we say we like to follow the 70s. And it's hard to follow the 70s here unless you're at... 6,000 feet. <laughs> oh, the, the temperature ricocheting between 106 and yeah. 65. Yeah. There was a 70 in there somewhere, but it was probably while we were sleeping. So, getting back to boondocking, to me, the biggest concern is water usage. We have a water tank of 100 gallons. Right. And we have a holding <laughs> tank for gray water of 65 gallons. Um, So that's going to be an area of concern. If we use up all our water, we're not supposed to dump on the ground (laughs) while we're at the balloon rally. So we're thinking that uh, we use about 15 gallons of water a day. Now, uh, this is just us, but I figure five gallons for a shower for each of us and five gallons for cooking. Now, we might uh, alter that slightly depending on the weather (laughs) and how much we sweat. (laughs) 
you may not need a shower every day. Whether you need one or not, you may not. So that means that we have six days, uh, 90 gallons, six days of water in the rig. And I have a 40-gallon bladder. Now, this is a rubber tank that I can put in the back of the car and fill it with water, which I'm going to do before the show, and leave it in the back of the car, and then I'm going to pump that water into our tank. And then we're going to have a service come and pump out our gray water tank for $30 uh, mid-Fiesta. Fiesta. So that's going to be our strategy. Because the black tank is never a problem. No, not We never for us. come close to filling it. So. No, it, we could go two weeks without having to worry about the black tank. So the black tank is, is easy, easy to manage, but they also have black tank pump-outs also. But I don't think we're going to have to take advantage of that. And because rain is in the forecast, depending on where you boondock, you might also pay attention to the elevation of your location because you don't want to park in a nice dry spot that's kind of low and wake up the next morning and find out that it's turned into a soupy, muddy mess. We've had some serious issues with that in this area. They've had some big-time rain. You know, you get four or five inches of rain, and the spot that you parked in... Now, this is not pertaining to the uh, balloon rally, but it is uh, pertaining to boondocking out in the in the sticks where it looks very dry, but all of a sudden you're in a wash and the water comes down. So uh, I have an article, of course, that I'm going to post, and they mentioned that the biggest issue with boondocking is a large freshwater capacity because you use it for everything. And people will, <laughs> this is a problem with a small rig, is, is that if you have a 30-gallon tank, for us, that's two days. And that's just not going to hack it for doing the balloon rally. When fresh water is depleted, you will need to resupply by obtaining more via a portable water container, which is what I have in this, in this bladder. Number two, and of course the link for this article is going to be on our website. Gray tank capacity. While there are ways to minimize your gray water and legal ways to dispose of it, a large capacity gray tank is ideal to maximize your stay in the boondocks. But we should also say that in many places where you boondock, like I'm thinking of Quartzsite in Arizona in the winter, if you are in a small rig, you can just go to the dump and refill place, drive there, and then drive back out into the desert. Our situation here yes. in the fiesta is that you we are can't not leave. allowed to yeah. leave so we have to make the best of it once we get in there a uh, large number three is a large battery bank and that of course we have along with the solar and a decent uh, inverter we have a 3000 watt inverter as well as a generator and we're going to fill up 150 gallons of diesel so that uh, the generator will be able to run as much as it needs to keep us uh, comfortable. Our whole uh, RVing experience is try to make it as much like home as possible. So that's a little bit de- a little bit different than a lot of people. Battery regeneration number four. Regardless of how large large your battery bank is, sooner or later you'll need to recharge them. Look for one or both of the following when shopping for the best boondocking RV. One, a solar system capable of keeping the house batteries charged on a daily basis. And basically, we have the three panels on the roof, and those will keep us going for an indefinite period of time for the minimum amount of electricity. In an all-electric coach. Either a built-in generator or a place to safely carry one on the RV. 
And this is uh, interesting. If you buy one of these new Ford trucks that has the generator built into it, you could charge your RV anytime. Fifth-wheel people, that seems ideal. Yes. Well, unfortunately, the truck is not capable of pulling too many fifth wheels, but they will be. And we talked about a car generator, and this is another link that you'll find on our website, but a car generator saves you from having to buy the Ford uh, Power Boost uh, pickup, but as noted, the car generator uh, is, comes in 1,000, 1,500, and 2,000-watt versions, and it hooks up to your 12-volt car system and will generate uh, those wattages uh, based uh, on your car engine. You do have to keep the car idling, however, but Ford says that uh, idling its truck for 84 hours is not a problem. So you can just idle your car and generate electricity that you would then pump into your RV. And I assume it has the shutoff feature that we have because you don't want to run yourself dry and then not be able to drive anywhere? No. No. Does your car have... No. The truck one. Does it's the- my impression we can't get below a quarter when we run our generator because we need enough Yeah, because the, because keep, our diesel engine keep, needs... Keep going. But this is a car engine. Well... It, it'll it run until the no, tank the, is empty. The truck one. The truck one will... It's a it's the truck's engine. It's so it runs the truck until the tank until is empty. Until you run out of gas. That tank goes down, it gets red, and then it runs out. And you're stuck. So you need to pay attention. <laughs> I'm sure the car one doesn't because yeah, cars otherwise, aren't designed to do that. No, your car runs the gas tank down until it's empty and then it stops. <laughs> that is an interesting idea, though. Um, they also talk about ground clearance uh, if you're going to boondock, but that's not going to be an issue for us. We hope as long as it is too muddy. <laughs> well, you said we're parking on asphalt, right? No. I said that. If you believe it, if you believe it, that's <laughs> the last time we were here. It rained. It rained, and we parked in a puddle. I remember. We parked in puddles, right? Out the door and they had to have people puddle. come and tow. But that was the rallies issue. Yeah. Now we're no, by no, ourselves. No. So I think I have upgraded enough so that we are on asphalt. But talk to us next month, ladies and gentlemen, and we will be having a full report on this. We've already had enough misadventures on this trip, and we haven't even told you about our most recent one. Hey, but we did pay for the fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars $1,600 for the new tire. Yes, the bill came. <laughs> the bill came. We were on the caravan, and one of the included activities was a visit to one of those drive-through wild animal parks, which we have not done. We were the, we had been there. Oh, we did a train trip there, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. And that was a lot of fun. We had never done the train trip to the Grand Canyon. You're derailing me. I'm talking about mishaps. Mishaps. So Nothing happened on the train. We were in the animal park, and uh, they kept the animals the that could eat you segregated <laughs> from the animals that don't want to eat you. And so it was kind of like being in a very large corral or a pen. And in the wolf well, enclosure, in the wolf enclosure at the end of the road, there was a attendant station who was going to tell you stuff about the rest of the park. So she kind of slowed the flow of the traffic down. 
And as we waited for our turn to leave <laughs> the wolf enclosure, um, a wolf came and showed great interest in us all as we stood there in line in our cars. And he kind of circled around between us, up one aisle, down the other aisle, in between the cars. And Ken very gently inched forward when it was our turn to move, lest he run over the wolf. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I hear this click, and he says to me, we can't move. (laughs) I say to you. Yes. And I said, what do you mean we can't move? We had been attacked by the wolf. I think the wolf was bored. And so (laughs) as he was waiting for all the cars to leave his enclosure, he took a little nip out of the ring that holds the gizmo (laughs) that's part of our towing system. Emergency brake. That activator. activates the emergency brake if our car comes so loose you, from the motorhome. If you tow a vehicle behind your motorhome, you don't want it. If it becomes dis, it becomes unattached, you don't want it to be sailing down the road without the braking system on. We, we've heard stories of people looking out the window <laughs> and seeing their car in the next lane going along, coasting the down the road. And of course, that's dangerous because. There's no steering, it's out of so control. that it, it could wobble back and forth. It and could hit you. It could hit us. It could hit somebody else. You know. So anyway, on the front of your vehicle, you'll have a pull switch that has a pin in it. That when the car breaks away, it applies the brakes. So the wolf had <laughs> caught the tooth of in his tooth i think the the ring he grabbed he grabbed it and dropped it on the ground pulled it out and so all of a sudden our emergency brake was on forevermore and we could we literally could not move now the rules in this park understandably we also went into a bear enclosure was that you could not open your car door and you could not roll down your windows so the attendant kept motioning (laughs) to ken to come forward and he kept motioning that he couldn't and she of course had no idea I started to put down my window, and she went she apoplectic, and she, I started to get out of the car because I knew what had happened, and she went apoplectic. And so we were right in the middle of the road. I put my emergency flashers on, but nobody could pass around us easily either, so the line of cars, and they're saying, I can imagine what they're saying, what the hell's this guy doing just parked here in the middle of the goddamn road? So... I didn't know what to do, so we motioned to her that we couldn't move, and so they they shut down the enclosure. <laughs> Apparently, other part other members of our group were in the park and they were listening on the radio to the maintenance people were being called, and they 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 put the wolf into an enclosure so that it would be uh, not available to the public, and then an attendant came and. And she found our little gizmo, but she wouldn't let Ken get out of the car to put it back in. And, of course, she put it in wrong. Because she didn't know. No. Anyway, I'm hoping that that's the last event that we have on this trip. This took about uh, at least half an hour for this to transpire. My thinking is is that I don't have one of these spare pins in the car, and that what if somebody comes along? A little kid. A little anybody. It's a a ring. uh, (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't tell anybody this. Why? Because they'll do it to other people? If they see us, they may pull our ring. Oh. All right, story's over. (laughs) If you pull this ring out at any point, I didn't really actually realize this. If you pull it out at any point... That's it. The car is disabled. If you have a brake buddy, which is a device that you put in every trip and it 
goes between the driver's seat and the and the brake pedal, and it presses on the brake pedal when the RV brakes. So that that's a device you have to take out in order to drive the car. And so if you pull the pin on a one like that, if the brake buddy wasn't in the car, car then it wouldn't put the brakes on. But ours is permanently installed, and so I was surprised it went on. When we weren't towing. It's nice to know it works. Because it's an air system and it didn't have any air. It's nice to and know it worked. But, I mean, it was really, we went, I could not creep forward. No, I, we couldn't I mean, roll at all. I, I put it in gear and I tried to apply because I thought I'd at least try to get off the side of the road. Eventually they got somebody to kind of direct people off to the side so Around they get by. Us. Oh, boy. <laughs> Enough things you never think about and I would never have worried about before. So that was an interesting experience. Everybody likes to stay at uh, inexpensive campgrounds, including us, especially you know when you're on the road. And if they're boondocking, that's okay. We don't mind. We've stayed in Cabela's and Walmart's. and But those places are kind of uh, getting to be far and few between because many places, uh, Cabela's has stopped offering uh, free spots to RVers. And when you go to Cracker Barrels, there are often <laughs> too many cars there and there are cars in the RV spaces or the bus spaces so that it's getting less and less uh, possible for you to find a space to boondock. And I'm not talking about necessarily boondocking in the uh, vast scenery, yeah, out in nature sense, because there are lots of places like that. We've, boy, out here in the West, boy, there are so many nice just places you could pull off and and camp. But one of the uh, RV sites is set up a new website called freecampgrounds.com. And the subtext is don't pay to stay. The idea is to create a searchable directory of free and inexpensive places to stay the night within two or three miles of America's interstates. Locations could include casinos, truck stops, rest areas, Walmarts, Cabela's, Cracker Barrel restaurants, and other places that we verify are safe and where RVers can stay without fear of being kicked out in the middle of the night. We'll encourage RV parks close to the interstate exits to provide overflow parking for $20 or less. No hookups, no services, just a safe place for traveling RVers to pull off the road for 8 or 10 hours and eat dinner and sleep. That's a great idea because when you're traveling for long distances and you've put in a number of hours behind the wheel, you just want some place to park. And you don't want to have to pay an arm and a leg. You don't want to pay the KOA $50 and $60 prices in order to make that kind of a stop. And we want it to be safe. And you yes. don't want to be in people's way. Sometimes when we've looked at Walmart parking lots, it's like the RVs are just a clog. And you can see where the uh, Walmarts are saying, we really don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, the Walmart in, in Florida where we stay has uh, banned RVs. And, and I think this is going to become more and more of the trend because there are just too many RVs that are trying to take advantage of this. They get to be a nuisance, I think. But there are some that, that allow it. And there are lots of places that probably have parking lots that are big enough. And certainly we see places that would be ideal for this kind of camping. And maybe this freecampgrounds.com website will be a real good resource for us uh, RVers to, to find those places. Not for long-term stays, but for just the overnight type of thing. I tried to do a nice slideshow for our RV caravan. So as you always do. As I tried to do. So if you are interested in actually seeing some of the people and some of the things that we did, uh, not the scenery, 
but uh, the things that we did along the way, then you might want to go to our webpage and look at the link for the YouTube-based uh, video. It'll give you an idea of what's included in a caravan and what people do. We didn't include many pictures of this beautiful scenery because everybody who was on the caravan was taking their own pictures of the scenery. And when he showed the YouTube video the last night that we were together, many people said, oh, I forgot I did that. <laughs> it was a whole month ago. So it was a real good yes, me- it, memory it, tick- it, tickler it, for us. And that's why well. the slideshows that I make are so valuable because it does jog your memory. It's hard to remember the 105 degree temperatures that we had in St. George at this time when it's uh, cool. Um, You know, we took a lot of pictures. As always. Because the national parks are and the Red Rocks are just stunning. I have drone pictures. And where are you going to store all this stuff? You need to have a good storage for your computer. And I want to put in a plug for a type of drive, a hard drive, for your computer called an SSD, solid-state drive. Solid-state drives are exactly as they say. They're hard drives that have no moving parts. So they're very small, they're very hardy, and the key these days is that they are very fast. One of the disappointments I've had is that flash drives, the drives that you plug into your computer, are incredibly slow devices for storing large amounts of data. I've bought 156 or 256 uh, up to 512 drives and they are just incredibly slow. And my understanding is is that basically this is because the components that they put into them are too small to make them fast. That's the only thing I can say. So I've been buying SSDs, which are external drives, and they are extremely fast. Now, fast is kind of a relative term, but you want to pay attention to the speed of the drives that you buy these days because the internal computer components are so fast that they need fast external components. Now, I have several small hard drives that are mechanical hard drives. (laughs) I plug those into my new iMac, and I find that the speed that it can write to those drives. Is this too technical? No, I'm still with you. Okay. That the speed it can write to these drives is in the 20 gig, 2020, whatever the, the, the number is, whereas an SSD plugged into the same computer is in the 2000 range. So we're talking about a huge factor of speed that will benefit you when you're trying to save large files, when you're trying to do pictures. I now keep my entire photo library on an external SSD because I know that it's as fast as my internal drive. My internal drives are SSDs, so why not have an external drive with an SSD? With that said, you also need on your computer a fast bus She's going to say... I'm not going to say anything. Why? Because you'll just laugh at me. No, not me. There are several different uh, external buses. USB comes into several different flavors these days. USB-A, which is the big connector, all the way down through USB-C, which is a small connector that is uh, swappable upside down backwards. It's not, it's not keyed. So if you have a USB-C drive, 
in an external port on your computer for USB-C, that is by far the fastest speed you can get for input and output into your computer. And they are as fast as the internal drives, so that you will lose nothing by having an external drive. This may sound technical, but in actuality, it makes a lot of difference in terms of your pleasure in using your computer by having a nice high-speed drive connected to it. I have had internal drives that are slow because they're mechanical. I've had external drives which are fast because they're USB-C, SSDs. And there is a very nice tool that you can use for that's available for free, which I'm going to put the link, but it's from Blackmagic. It's a disk speed test, and it checks the bus speed as well as the drive speed so that you can determine uh, if the drive is up to uh, capacity. And so I've been using this uh, to check various drives, and I've been very impressed with the USB-C with, a, with an SSD. That's the bottom line, is that, that that's what you look for if you're looking for making your computer faster. You know, when you got your computer and you had an internal SSD, uh, that increase, increase the speed of the computer dramatically as opposed to having that hard drive because just the boot up was much faster. So it's worth it to, to look at an SSD for your external. Lesson over. Can I wake up now? No! You can ask questions. What would our average listener want to know? I don't know. I don't think I'm our, our average listener. You don't think you are? No. But you you have to take the place of the... No, no, no. You have to ask questions that they think about. No, no, no. I can tell from the email that many of these men, mostly, really groove on all of this electronic stuff you talk about, but I have no value to add. Okay. The last topic that I'm going to talk about, then, is uh, taking documents along on your travels. What kind of documents? Well, did you know that you can scan documents with your camera? Yeah. Not by taking a picture. Oh, no, then I don't know. Okay, so if you have an iPhone, for instance, and I'm sure this is available for uh, Android also, you can scan the documents. And now scanning the documents actually improves the quality, so it's not taking a picture, but it actually makes the scan, you know, makes like, it like black a, and white. Like a Xerox. Than, like a Xerox, exactly. If you go to the Notes app on your f- iPhone... Which I use all the time. And you click on the camera... Mm-hmm. And then you click on the little, of course, you're going to go to our website and click on the link so that you have this, but my description is not all that good. So you go to the notes, and you click on the camera, and then click on the little symbol for document scanning, and then it says scan documents. So it's uh-huh. a special feature. So for then scan- how do I hold my camera relative well, to you, the you, Well, the nice thing is is that it, it tells you when it wants to take the picture. It says you need to get closer or further uh-huh, away uh-huh. so that it when it views the document. So it'll do a whole typewriter page of yeah. stuff at a time? Yeah. Uh-huh. It'll, cool. uh, multiple pages if you want to. And it turns them into PDFs, which is also a nice feature. Mm-hmm. Because when we're traveling like this, where are our documents? At home. Yeah, pretty much. Or when you're on a cruise, where are your documents? At home. So 
take a picture of your passport, of all the important... Your vaccination records. Your vaccination records, of course, and scan them as documents instead of just photos because the quality is better for documents. Cool. I learned something. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we have blown through another hour, and I'm afraid that some people think that our podcasts are too long. Somebody said that. I know. How can they... Here we just kind of sit and chat, and now they think it's too long. Well, let us know what you think, and we will be... If you're at the Balloon Festival... We might see you. We might see you. And we will be uh, on our way back to Florida by the this time next month. We will probably be in Florida for the beginning of November. Yeah. So yeah. we have a lot of chances for people to... Be at a campground near us. Exactly. And so look out for the RV Navigators. On the back of our rig is a thing that says, visit the RVNavigator.com. And if you see that, you know that it's it is us, us the, R- the RV Navigators. Make sure you say hi. Make sure you say hi. Right. We always like to hear from our listeners, and we hope to hear from you in the not-too-distant future. Beyond that... We will say goodbye. Happy travels. Bye now.